Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for April 19th, 2018. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, we just have a news pack show today. Uh, we have some fun stuff lined up tomorrow and next week, uh, but let's just get into it. Let's start off with Amazon landing a sci-fi series from the creators of Westworld. As a fan of Westworld, this has me excited. Ben, tell us about it. Yes, yeah, so Westworld showrunners Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, who are married in real life, uh, have sold a new show to Amazon. It's based on William Gibson's 2014 novel called The Peripheral. And William Gibson is a guy who wrote Neuromancer, and he is a, a very acclaimed sci-fi author. So this is a, an established property from a big name in the sci-fi world. And obviously Nolan and Joy are, are pretty big deals in the sci-fi world right now with Westworld. Uh, the synopsis of the novel is a little bit complicated but i guess just to boil it down it's about this woman who lives i think in the very near future in a sort of rural american town where she essentially uses um virtual reality to step in to play this um virtual prototype of a world that looks a lot like london but things are slightly off and she is like taking over shifts in this virtual world for her brother who is an army vet and uh, she's promised that this game is not like a, a traditional first-person shooter kind of thing, but she witnesses this crime there, and there's a time travel component to it. I mean, really, you should just go and check out the full uh, synopsis of this thing uh, in the article that we wrote at SlashFilm.com. But this is, is an exciting piece of news because, obviously, Nolan and Joy are our big deals in sci-fi, but uh, Vincenzo Natali, the director of Cube and Splice, who's actually already directed a couple episodes of Westworld, is going to be directing this pilot and executive producing the show alongside Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy. So um, this is going to be for Amazon. It's We don't really know anything about the budget yet, but it sounds pretty ambitious and sort of a um, similarly uh, thematically deep and rich world that they can dive into um, right alongside Westworld. 
Well, I'm I'm wondering how involved they're going to be because it feels like Westworld is like you know it takes a year and a half to create one season of that show, and they're like so deeply involved in that. I know um, William Gibson. I haven't read a lot of his novels, but uh, he's almost as much as he's a you know a sci-fi writer. He's almost like a futurist. He kind of predicts like these things uh, about you know where technology is going and interesting uh trends in his work um it'll, it'll be interesting to see what uh you know i haven't read this book so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where this goes I, i'm excited for it yesterday on the podcast we did the summer movie wager where we uh tried to predict the top 10 movies of summer 2018 uh we all predicted that Avengers Infinity War would land in at number one of the summer, and it looks like we might be right because the early box office is uh, tracking that will be the biggest box office opening of all time. Chris, what do we know? Uh, yeah, so like you just said, the Avengers Infinity War tracking suggests this might end up being the biggest opening weekend of all time. Um, the previous record holders were uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens, but it, it looks like the the uh, the lead up to this is already exceeding what uh, the Force Awakens had. Uh, like the buzz, all this, it just seems like. And For- uh, Force Awakens did almost like two hundred and fifty million. In its yeah, or, yeah, around there. So this, I mean, yeah, like you said, we all we all anticipated this was going to be big, but it looks like it's going to be even bigger than we could have possibly imagined. I mean, this is huge. This is a huge deal for Marvel. And I guess it makes sense because they've been building to this for a long time. This feels like a culmination of everything they've done up until now. So it looks like all that work paid off. You know, we've been wondering, can Infinity War break, uh, you know, the box office that Black Panther did, which is the highest uh, uh, Marvel uh, film thus far, right? Um, and uh, with 200, if, if it can break 250 million opening weekend, usually, usually the superhero films are a little top heavy, but usually the equation is like two and a half to three times the opening weekend is what a movie makes domestically. So let's say uh, two hundred fifty thousand. I mean, two hundred fifty million times two point five. That's six hundred twenty-five. So that's just short of uh, of of topping Black Panther. Um, do you guys, Brad? I mean, Ben. Sorry. Do Do you think that this, knowing this, do you think this will have the potential to beat Black Panther? Yeah, I mean, hearing this makes me a lot more confident that it has a strong chance. And the th- the thing that's craziest to, uh, about this whole thing to me is that, you know, Chris keeps talking about the culmination. And that's exactly how Marvel has been marketing this thing is the culmination of the MCU thus far. But Avengers 4 is really going to be the culmination because it's almost going to be if we if. Infinity War ends the way we think it's going to end with our heroes sort of down and out and it's almost like a cliffhanger kind of vibe then you know that everybody who goes to see Infinity War is also going to go see Avengers 4 and maybe even more people so that could do even more business than this one and this is already tracking to be the biggest ever so uh, Marvel has a very bright future it looks like. I feel like with the summer movie wager, now that we're bringing it on to Slash Film Daily, we're going to be talking more about box office uh, throughout the summer and keep track of that. Um, but you can always follow the rankings at 
thesummermoviewager.com. Uh, let's move on to another film from Paramount. They are going to be making uh, a mask movie from the director of Fate in the Furious. Fate of the Furious, I mean. Uh, ben, what do we know? Yeah, so this is not a remake of the Jim Carrey comedy. This is M period A period S period K period mask. This is actually based on a toy line from the 1980s uh, that stands for Mobile Armored Strike Command. Command with a K, of course. And uh, it depicts the adventures of an elite fighting force who face off against Venom, the vicious evil network of mayhem. All of this, of course, will take place in the Hasbro Cinematic Universe, and I want to kill myself for uttering that sentence because this is a real thing that Paramount is doing. They're building the Hasbro Cinematic Universe, which also uh, is comprised of the Transformers movies and G.I. Joe franchise. Something called Rom the Space Knight is going to be getting a movie adaptation as well, and though we don't know who is going to be writing this Mask movie yet, F. Gary Gray, the director of the Italian Job remake and The Fate of the Furious is going to be directing this mask film. So, uh, again, we're not really sure about a timeline on this. Um, we know that F. Gary Gray is also directing a new Men in Black movie for Sony, and that one has a July 2019 release date already. So it's almost certain that he's going to be doing that uh, pretty soon, uh, almost immediately. And then we'll probably jump over to this mask film after that. But uh Peter, I know you played with these mask toys as a kid. I certainly did not, but I was looking at the the commercial. We embedded a video of a bunch of commercials in the uh, article that you can find at slashworld.com, and these are these toys are pretty ridiculous. Oh, they're cool. They're they were like GI Joe, uh, but uh, it's, it's GI Joe combined with Transformers. Like these toys always had some kind of uh, like you could transform them into different things. Uh, it was a fun toy line. It was created by Kenner, and I think it's one of those toy lines where they created. Uh, a bunch of action figures, and then to market the action figures, they created a cartoon series just for the sole purpose of getting kids interested enough to buy the toys. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, it was like, you know, that kind of chicken or the egg kind of thing. Uh, I never watched the TV series, uh, the, the animated series, so I'm not sure if the story is there, but there definitely could be some cool cinematic things going on with the, the transforming, like, vehicles and weapons and stuff like that uh, on a level that, you know, you don't feel uh, attached to, like, you know, these robots from an alien planet like uh, Michael Bay did in the Transformers. Um, But, uh, Chris, do you have any interest in this or the, uh, what is it, the Hasbro Cinematic Universe? Yes. Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I will remain the optimist with this one. Um Let's move on to another toy series. I think this toy series also spawned a cartoon series that spawned a movie and is now spawning another movie, and that is Masters of the Universe. Uh, We now have new directors that are going to take on He-Man. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, yes, the directors are Adam and Aaron Knee, the Knee Brothers. Um, Wait, wait, wait. Wait, who? (laughs) Yeah, so... I am uh, I'm very surprised by this announcement. The the Knee Brothers are very low budget indie directors. They really only have one prominent film to their name, and it's called uh, Band of Robbers. And it's actually a pretty good movie. It's it's about um, it's a modern day take on Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, and they're adults and they they try and pull off a robbery. 
And I, I know that doesn't sound like the most exciting film, but um, I watched this uh, when it came out. And I was surprised at how charming this movie was. It was a, a charming, fun little indie film. Now, I don't know how that's going to translate to He-Man, but um, I, 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 I really don't know what to say about this. It's very strange. I guess someone uh, thought they would be right. Someone at Sony said, yes, give, <laughs> give Masters of the Universe to these guys. And that's where we are right now. They're making the new He-Man movie. It's got to be better than the Dolph Lundgren version, right? <laughs> I actually Maybe. have a soft spot in my heart for the Dolph Lundgren movie because it's it's so totally just a copy of Star Wars, and um, if, from the poster to the take, um, it's a bad movie, but uh, I enjoy it. But I don't know; it just seems so weird that they would hire these directors. I know they were going for big names, and then who did they have? They had David Goyer at one point attached to direct. Um, you know, now they're going with the uh, band of robber guys, which I'm not, you know, I don't mean to, uh, I'm not trying to dismiss them in any way. Uh, but you know, their movie got like a 77% of Rotten Tomato. That, that's a fresh rating and audience score of 61%, not as good, but I'm like, you know, watching this trailer, I, I just, I don't know. Like maybe they went in the room and they, they had a pitch that was, you know, too hard to turn down. It makes me think that maybe they're going for a more tongue-in-cheek take on this material, maybe, because the, the Band of Robbers film is, is a comedy, really. So maybe that's what Sony wants here. They want something that's not entirely a serious interpretation of He-Man, which makes sense because it's not a very serious property, you know, as much as it wants to be. So maybe they're going for something maybe even satirical here. That's just a guess. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, up next, we're going to have a couple of reactions to trailers. So if you have not seen the trailer for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, the latest trailer, or the trailer for Deadpool 2, uh, you might want to skip ahead or turn away because, you know, people avoid trailers nowadays and think of them as spoilers. So I don't know. If you're one of those people, I guess, you know, Jeff Kanata, you can turn off the podcast right now. Um, but let's move on to Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. The new trailer came out yesterday, uh, and Ben wrote up this huge trailer breakdown on the site. I will link it in the show notes. But I want to get your reactions. Uh, ben, what is your reaction to this trailer? So the first half of this trailer, I wasn't too crazy about it, really. I mean, it, it seems... Um, like a lot of stuff that we've seen before and then some it really just sort of seems flat but then the back half is where I, I sort of started to get a little bit excited about this movie and I've been very mixed on the stuff that I've seen from Fallen Kingdom thus far but the back half of this trailer finally uh, sort of clued me into why they hired J.A. Bayona to come on and direct this film because he directed a movie called The Orphanage in 2007 that is like this gothic horror film and that's really what the back half of this trailer makes Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom look like. It's it's completely taking the action off the island and it goes to this huge mansion and there's this amazing shot of... Uh, of a raptor jumping out of an explosion that I've become <laughs> obsessed with over the past 24 hours. And it, it looks very much like, uh, speaking of tongue in cheek, like it knows what kind of movie it is. It, it really sort of um, breaks with any sense of, uh, of realism or, or reality at all. And then there's this really cool shot of uh, the Indoraptor, which is like the genetically engineered new villain of the movie. 
uh, on top of a house with like the the moon in you know covered in clouds and fog, and this thing is like roaring into the moon. It's like this really um, evocative, interesting shot that uh, I, I don't really know how it's going to work in the the grand plot of all of this, but I, at least the movie has some style that I can see in this trailer, and it finally gives me a sense that Bayona is going to really try to incorporate the horror elements that he's known for into at least the back half of uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. So I don't know. I'm still overall kind of mixed on this whole thing, but I will say I got pretty excited about a lot of the shots in the back half of this trailer. See, it it is interesting because the marketing thus far until this trailer was really playing up the disaster movie first half of this film with them going to the island, trying to rescue the dinosaurs before this extinction level event, a.k.a. volcano erupting, you know, kills all the dinosaurs left on Earth. And, um, you know, that that fun action excitement was cool, but now it seems like they're getting a little spoiler-ish and showing us what is what happens after, you know, the get off the island. And I'm, I'm not quite sure where they are. They're, like, in a little house at some point. Um, but, yeah, exactly what you're saying, these small... Uh, like scenes that kind of remind me more of like uh, the sequences from Jurassic Park that I loved, like the kitchen scene with the raptors. Like it mm-hmm. seems like it's going to be creepy, small, tense uh, sequences. And uh, I love that this franchise is is moving on and becoming something else. I, I feel like, um, you know, a lot of people gave the last one a lot of uh, flack, uh, partially that, like, you know, they returned to the theme park and it was kind of the same thing again and, uh, you know, some stupid mistakes, but whatever. Uh, but, like, I, I like that um, I like that this seems to be taking this franchise in a totally different direction. Chris, what are your thoughts? I am I really don't know what to make of this. Um, I didn't hate uh, Jurassic World, like a lot of people did. Um, and I was actually starting to think this looked, the sequel looked pretty good. And then this trailer really threw me for a loop because it looks so far removed from what Jurassic Park is, the original, that it's it's almost like baffling. Like it, it seems like it's like a sequel in name only at this point. I mean, on one level, it looks really great. I mean, the, the visuals are incredible. There's that shot of the... I don't even know what the name of the dinosaur is. The the water dinosaur in the wave about to eat the surfers. That's an incredible looking shot. I mean, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff in the trailer, but it's so uh, different than, you know, what I've come to think of as the Jurassic Park franchise that I'm a little, I'm a little uh, confused at the same time, you know, Chris is channeling the star Wars fanboys. At this point, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I was gonna say at the at the same time, you know, different is a good thing. I mean, uh, you know, in order for something to evolve, it it should change. So maybe it makes sense to change things so much. But this looks like it's it's drastic. But I mean, I'm gonna see it, so I guess we'll see. Yeah, um, it's interesting because, like, you know, seeing where they're going with this, I I have no idea what the third film is gonna be about. I know. Uh, Colin Trevorrow, who is directing the third film, he is the producer of all three of this trilogy. He has recently been doing some press uh, and talked about what we might expect from the third film, calling it a science thriller. Uh, Chris, what do we know about this? 
Uh, yeah. So, um, like you said, uh, Colin Trevorrow, he's, he's back. He, he, he left, uh, Jurassic world two to basically go plan the next star Wars film. And then obviously he's left that film and now he, he's coming back. And he said in this interview, both that Steven Spielberg directly asked him to come back and direct the third film, which must be nice. I wish Steven Spielberg would ask me to do something. Um, and he also, he also, yeah, he said, like you said, the film is going to be a science thriller in the same way that Jurassic Park was. And so that's, this seems like maybe this is his way of saying the third film is going to be more of a return to the original Jurassic Park. Um, the original Jurassic Park, I feel like a lot of people forget because they mostly remember the big action set pieces. There's a lot of science stuff in that movie and even more so in Michael Crichton's book, which is just loaded with all sorts of nerdy science stuff that I don't even understand. It's, you know, there's, there's I, like pages I, of code and stuff. Yeah. I remember Ben was talking about Michael Crichton uh, a couple days ago on the podcast. And I remember diving into Jurassic Park after seeing the movie and being like, what, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess maybe that's what he's saying here that the, the third Jurassic world is going to have a lot more science in it, but I guess we'll see. Ben, do you have any prediction of where Jurassic World 3 could go? Um, well, the trailer for Fallen Kingdom shows B.D. Wong's character, who is one of the scientists who I, I think was responsible for developing some of the tech. And he he showed up in the original Jurassic Park, and it, he was also in Jurassic World in a small role. It seems like he might have more of a villain kind of role in this one. So maybe he'll survive the events of Fallen Kingdom and then... If all of these dinosaurs have been wiped out, maybe it'll be about him trying to genetically create these creatures again. But I, I don't really know from a story perspective what good that would do to completely retread things because we're just spent all this time talking about how the series needs to evolve and change. So, uh, I, yeah, I really don't know. OK, let's let's talk about the other trailer that hit uh, recently and that hit this morning. And that's the final trailer for Deadpool 2. Um you know, I'm not a fan of this trailer. I, I don't know. I, 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 unlike uh, you, Ben, I did enjoy the first one in, in the movie it, when it was in the movie theaters. It, it kind of gave me the sense of like, oh, my God, a a superhero movie doesn't just have to be X, Y or Z. What we've seen from Fox and, you know, Disney thus far, it can be also, you know, uh, a <laughs> or whatever uh, or C or whatever uh, anyways um, the like but this seems like kind of more of the same and it uh, a lot of the jokes just kind of fall flat on me it's just like oh it, here's a ref a, a modern reference just to be a reference and like you know you're gonna watch this in five years and it's not even gonna be funny uh, the one thing I did laugh at in the trailer is the DCU uh, joke and by the way, you know, I know we talk about spoilers from time to time, but they, they completely spoiled uh, the last Wolverine film in the this trailer. How many people do you think are pissed off about that? I would imagine, and this is coming from somebody who takes spoilers probably more seriously than either of the other two people in this podcast. Uh, I, I would guess that everybody who's who wanted to see Logan has seen Logan by now. So I, I don't okay. think people are, are going to be uh, up in arms over that. And especially since it flies by so quickly in that uh, title card scene. Okay. Well, Chris, what are your thoughts on this trailer? Uh, so I, I've said this before, but I really do not like the first Deadpool. I, I know people love it, but I, I sat through that film just baffled as to what, what people are getting out of that film. But that's me. But 
I gotta say, I liked this trailer. Um, what I really liked about it was that it looks like a much better directed film. Um, Tim Miller, who directed the first film, I don't think he's a, a good filmmaker. He has a very point and shoot style. And I thought the style of this trailer, it actually looked really well directed. There are good action set pieces. It, it looked like a, a real movie. Whereas I thought the first Deadpool kind of looked like a fan film to me. Um, and I really liked that that Rob Delaney joke at the end uh, had me laughing more than literally anything that happened in the first Deadpool. So that alone is a plus for me. So I was a little negative. You are excited for this. Ben, where do you fall? So I, for the first time I, I watched this, I thought this was a kind of chaotic trailer. And then I saw this clip from Avengers Infinity War that Chris wrote earlier today. Maybe we can link to that in the show notes as well. And then I, I had to redefine uh, what the word chaotic actually meant in my life because that clip is so insane. So actually rewatching the Deadpool trailer, uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, this is this is totally fine now. I, I, I uh, all of my problems seem to fall away with it. I, I don't think it looks particularly great um, in terms of like the story it's selling. I, th- I feel like it it reminds me of Mystery Men, the uh, Ben Stiller superhero movie from like the late '90s, um, just with the way that yeah. it's it's structured in terms of like the introduction of these characters. But I, I really also loved the Rob Delaney joke at the end. And just like Chris, that made me laugh way more than anything that was in the first movie. So uh, I, I I don't know guys. I, I mean, I just don't really like this character that much. So it's hard for me to um, get past that, I guess. Uh, let's move on to our last story. And that is about Rampage. Uh, if you have not seen Rampage, we're going to discuss the ending of Rampage. So you might want to turn off the podcast now. Uh, the story has to do with Rampage's original ending, which almost caused Dwayne Johnson to quit the project. Uh, so, again... If you have not seen Rampage or you care about, uh, you know, the spoilage of Rampage's ending, uh, leave right now. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so I'll just set up, uh, provide some brief setup in terms of how Rampage actually ends now to, to give you guys some context for how it was originally going to end. So as, as it exists right now, Rampage stars Dwayne Johnson as this military man who s- serves as a primatologist at the San Diego Zoo. He rescues a an albino gorilla named George from poachers when George is a, a small gorilla and then spends years, you know, hanging out with this thing at the zoo. Uh, George is one of three animals who come in contact with this genetic experimentation that turn him into giant monsters basically and as the movie comes to an end these creatures are like rampaging through chicago and george is given an antidote and it turns into george and the rock versus these other two giant creatures so uh, a rolling stone profile of dwayne johnson they they spoke with johnson and uh, some of the producers and the director brad payton about making this movie and about Johnson's role in it. And Johnson said, so the script comes in and I'm reading it. And at the end of it, George dies. I'm like, no, did I miss something? George can't be dead, but I go back and yeah. So the original film or the original version of the script ended with George dying and the movie as it exists right now, George gets impaled by this giant piece of rebar on a a shattered building. And he tricks Dwayne Johnson's character into thinking that that he is dead. That yes, this gigantic ape plays a prank on Dwayne Johnson. That's how this movie essentially wraps up. I mean, this happens in the last five minutes of the film. Uh, but 
yeah, it's revealed that it was a prank. He he basically flicks him off and laughs at him for getting emotional about the fact that his best friend almost you know was believed to be dead. And everyone has a good laugh and roll credits. So Johnson reveals that he really fought the studio in order to get this to be the movie as we know it and and to avoid the original ending of George dying he says I don't like a sad ending life brings that shit I don't want it in my movies when the credits roll I want to feel great we had a big meeting where they gave me all the reasons they thought George should die he sacrifices himself saving the world killing these animals who had ill intentions to harm mankind he sacrifices himself like a brave soldier okay but this is a movie there's a crocodile the size of a football stadium we're not making saving private ryan so i I like the idea that dwayne johnson has a little bit of self-awareness at least about (laughs) what kind of film he was making here um but he's also said oh go ahead wait which ending would you have preferred so i think you got to just keep it where george dies but but and this is where Johnson comes back in. He says, my problem is I have a relationship with an audience around the world for years. I've built a trust with them that they're going to come to my movies and feel good. So every once in a while, you're going to have to drop this card, which is you're going to have to find another actor. We need to figure something out. Otherwise I'm not going to do the movie. So he literally threatened to walk away because this giant ape who was his buddy in the, in his character's buddy in the movie uh, was going to die. But I feel like the ending of the film as it exists right now the fake out death is just, I don't know. It it did not land. It did not work for me in any way. I thought it was ridiculous. Peter, I know you were there at that screening as well. What did you think about the way that ending? Did it actually work for you emotionally? Um, well, before, before the screening, Dwayne Johnson came out on stage and told us we were going to cry. So I assumed that George was going to die. So when, when that emotional part happened, the emotion landed. And then when it just ended up being a joke, it I, I almost felt more of an F you to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. It completely undercuts what they're trying to do. And it, it's, you know, after reading this, it strikes me as like the studio really wanted it one way. Dwayne Johnson really wanted it the other way. So they struck a compromise, but the compromise is like, this weird middle ground where it it doesn't work in either direction. I almost wish they would have just, you know, stuck with one or the other. They could have killed him off and then revealed that George had a son like back in the, uh, in San Diego and, you know, had like the happy ending with, you know, sequel uh, uh, potential. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It it seems kind of unbelievable to me that, you know, a creature would be impaled, you know, be drastically hurt. And in that moment, decide to pull a practical joke against right. you know his best friend yeah it's so ridiculous and he it, the movie goes to very very uh, great lengths to convince the audience that that george this giant ape is dead um he like stopped breathing to such a convincing degree that a trained primatologist believes that he's dead like this is not this is something that no gorilla should be able to do and i realize i'm talking about a movie in which he (laughs) grows to be like 50 feet tall or whatever yeah but this is the equivalent of you know we were walking in at sundance and i i tripped and fell and like you know shattered my wrist and my my wrist blew up to like like a funny uh you know huge like uh thing grapefruit size yeah like if at that point i started like you know, acting like I was dead. Like, you know, I would, I, there's no, there's no, well, I know this is like a weird uh, comparison, but like in that moment, you can't think about anything else, but like, oh, my wrist hurts. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, yeah. I, I don't think I would have in my, in my mind, the idea of like pulling a practical joke 
during a moment where I am being hurt. I mean, George is just that funny, Peter. And that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. Ben, where can people find more of your work online? You can find me uh, writing every day at SlashFilm.com. You can track me down on Twitter at Ben Pears. Chris, where can we find you? I'm also at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 You can find more about all the stories mentioned on today's podcast on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and television. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to peter at slashfilm.com and leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention it on the air. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. See you tomorrow.